Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. That's right, Chelsea fans, we are back. Not only is the group back, I am back, and it, it does feel good. Uh, not really listening back and hearing you guys just jab me the whole time, but I totally get it. So obviously Dan and Nick are are here to, uh, you know, probably say other things to my face now that I'm here. But before we get into that, I do want to bring in our guest, Stanford Chidge, right off the bat. Chidge, the podfather, welcome back. We have missed you, sir. Yeah, it's been a while, man. What, 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 what you know? What have I done? Have I, have I, you know, farted in a bad place or something? You know, I feel, I feel like I've been ignored. You know, I'm only pulling your leg. It's good to be back. Lovely to speak to you guys. It is fantastic to be back. We finally saved up enough money to meet your agent fees. I, you know, I heard about J.K. <laughs> and how much that uh, he could do for you. So uh, you'll have to talk to him about why it's been so long. Um, but Nick, right off the bat from at big underscore Nash 88 on Twitter saying, how did Nick celebrate his birthday? What were his mm. alcoholic beverages of choice for his special weekend? Mm. That's, that's a fantastic question. Um, I actually, so my coworkers got me a couple bottles of, uh, of, of liquor, one being a really nice scotch, uh, another being uh, my favorite bourbon. Um, and so I celebrated with a little bit of that, but I also had a wedding this weekend. 
um, in which I drank. Chage, I would, I think I would have done you proud uh, with the amount that I drank last night. Um, and unlike Brandon, uh, I can play through a hangover. So I am, uh, I'm back. Damn, he went there. I'm back. He went there. And I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm a little fuzzy up top, though. So have you had a hair of the dog, though, mate? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. So fr- I got really drunk Friday night um, on German beer, which just it just threw me for a whole loop. And then got back in with the Guinness yesterday, and then had a uh, a breakfast Guinness this morning so that I could level out. But <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, you, you have to do it as as a pro yourself, Chidge. You know. Yes, indeed. I, I discovered on holiday in in Spain uh, last week or the week before last that uh, the the place I stayed at. On their breakfast, uh, you know, basically they had a mix of English uh, breakfast, continental breakfast, pastries, you name it. But I spied very quickly on that they also had uh, several bottles of champagne open. So I was waking up with a glass of champagne every day. It was a, it's the only way to wake up. That that sounds like you're living the dream. You're living the high life. That's uh, <laughs> nice, well great. done. Might have, to, might have had to send our trip into uh, Spain, gentlemen, and, and sample it down there. Uh, well, well, that it is prob- good. Prob- it was probably Carver, really, Brandon, but hey, it all counts. <laughs> you know, that's why they, they take it out of the bottles for you so you don't know. Um, Dan, jumping back in, we have more iTunes reviews this week. Again, people leaving us the five-star love in the Apple Podcast Store. Yeah, we're actually recording apparently on International Podcast Day, which is uh, well themed considering we have Chidge on, you know, a little cross uh, cross the uh, pond connection there. But we want to thank uh, Dubba uh, nineteen, Phoenix Ops, and uh, Farkas twenty eight, and London Hella Blue. All right, you know, uh, and then Love Seat. You know, some uh, some interesting review names there, but all left <laughs> some five star reviews on iTunes, and we thank you for that. And would love to shout you out on the next podcast if you do the same. So five stars on Apple Podcasts. Get a little shout out at the beginning of the show. And a huge thank you to Colin who just joined us on Patreon. Huge thank you. Your rewards will be coming soon. And a heads up to those of you who already are on our Patreon and those of you thinking about it. We're going to be adding some brand new rewards for those of you looking to join up and support us. So we want to give back essentially as much as we can to you guys who who make that kind of commitment to us to show you just how much we appreciate it. I do want to shout out Chidge, the Chelsea Fancast Patreon page. And Ooh. I would like you to tell the group, because this is something huh. I wish we could ever do uh what you did with the funds from your Patreon. A worthwhile cause. Well, how, well I, I kind of... I don't know if I've actually announced it, have I, or have I? You did, because it did is going to be hung up at the bridge. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a big mouth, basically, and I, I wasn't <laughs> going to. It's not here yet, that's why. But no, basically, um, I mean, you know, you're far more organized than me. And, you know, I, I kind of, it's really funny that we get, it's, I'll give you an example. Um, there's the anchor thing, and then there's the yapper thing. Well, I, I got emailed about those kind of things, like, years ago and of course i said an acast is another one i just sit on my ass and don't do anything about it and you guys are really good you get on it you know you're such great americans that's what you do you see um i should i should buy you a blue cap with making podcasts great again or something like that (laughs) but uh anyway i i i I kind of did the whole patreon thing as well because i kind of thought you know fuck it why not you know if people like what we do why and they want to contribute and they're always asking how they can contribute basically and and i've spent a fair bit of money doing this as you guys can imagine um but i thought well you know the whole point of it is that you give something special back and i've seen a lot of them and, and a lot of them really 
it kind of it's it's about premium content and i thought well we do enough bloody content as it is but maybe people can kind of get hold of me a little bit easier if they want to which is a nice thing and then i just had this brainwave that uh you know we, we've been doing a podcast with kerry for a year or so now Kerry Dixon, who, for those of you who don't know, is Chelsea's third highest goal uh, scorer, an absolute hero of mine in the eighties, um, and uh, and and it, it just I looked, you know, looking around Stamford Bridge, and I thought there's there's no banner for Kerry. There's a Drogba one, a Hazard one, a Lampard one, a Terry one, a, um, you know, a, a, an Osgood one, a Bobby Tambling one, but there isn't one for Kerry, and I just thought this is nuts. So um, I talked to some chums, the We Are The Shed boys, and of course there's some of the American guys uh, who also help out with the banners, and, and they've basically not one up. So uh, when they come over in October, uh, we, will, um, we will have the banner ready, and hopefully we will keep it flying high at Stamford Bridge. I'm hoping that it'll go at the Matthew Hard again, because that's where I sit. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought a, a lovely tribute to Kerry, which is overdue and much deserved. Uh, a, a lovely kind of um you know substantial and concrete way to thank the people that listen to the show and contribute to it uh by by being patreon members um and uh and there we go and i just thought you know every time they they, they watch a game they'll see that banner and they'll think yeah well, i did that and i just thought that was a really nice thing to do so there you go that is so cool and it's obviously very tangible and something they can see every other weekend and during the season very cool. Uh, Nick, you have your own special shout-out, I see. Yeah, really uh, awesome uh, situation. So uh, my coworker Caitlin, got married last night, so we were all out uh, having as many drinks as I could have possibly had uh, in a three-hour span. And um, it just so happened that her brother is a listener of our show and came up kind of out of nowhere and, and ended up talking about Chelsea for a little while, which was – uh, which was great, and so I just wanted to shout uh, Michael Shea out uh, on the on the pod, and know that he's a uh, an avid listener of the show, and it's just it's always and I'm, Chidge, I'm sure you still feel this way. It's always just uh, really humbling to to meet people who listen to the show in person and kind of hear the anecdotes and and listening habits and things like that. So uh, really cool, and and uh, just want to give Michael a shout. Absolutely right. Obviously, apart from when I've had to meet you lot, but uh, everybody yeah, else, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, everybody. <laughs> no, nah, I'm only joking. Yeah, I think that's the best thing. I mean, and, and the interesting thing that I find is that the guys that I do the podcast with, um, you know, I came from a professional TV background and all of that, so it's a bit different. But they didn't. You know, they're just people who love Chelsea and, and wanted to do a show with me, and they are always utterly overwhelmed about the number of friends that they've made. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot from America. It has to be said that kind of outweighs many of the others but from the states from australia new zealand from europe from asia i mean everywhere in the flaming world we've had people come over and and and, and meet us in the pub and it, it it's just it's it's humbling absolutely humbling it really is all right well before we get into the match review uh again guys this is the most exciting news that we always have every season uh nick run us through essentially our next trip heading to london Fingers crossed, hanging out with the Chidge and the fan cast as well. Correct. So December 28th through January 2nd, uh, we are heading back. We're going to see Palace away uh, on the 29th uh, and then see Southampton at home on New Year's Day. Should be a festive occasion. Um, and Yeah, we're hoping to, to meet up with Chidge as we have each of the previous three times that we've been over. 
Uh, perhaps even do a live show if Chidge is sober enough to pull that off. We'll, we'll see. If not, I'll see get a stand-in, Nick. I'll get my double yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is no, there is no stand-in for you, Chidge. You're, you're one of a kind. Um, and so again, uh, if you guys have any questions, DM us, email us, contact at londonisbluepodcast.com. Plenty of information up on our site. Uh, so londonisbluepodcast.com. Uh, you will actually register through XL Tours because that's the travel partner that we use. So, um, again, match tickets, hotel, plenty of other goodies. Uh, we will have a kind of full itinerary as we get closer to the uh, to the actual trip. But um, very, 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 very excited to uh, to head back. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the match review. Obviously, it was Liverpool at the weekend and a Premier League match. Two matches against Liverpool in a very short time span. This one being at Stamford Bridge. Score, Blues won, Reds won. Uh, We actually did have some correct score predictions, Nick. Kind of surprising, but sure enough, there were four, uh, you know, like-minded, just smart, nailed the predictions just like you. I've been I've been zero for three now the last three weeks. So uh, the tables good. have turned. They the have tables have turned. It was always going to be a short lived run that I had. <laughs> so uh, Connor Beedling, uh, Litteris, uh, Frederick Eberg, uh, and then our Dale Hall, our our good friend. So all with the one one predictions. Just just a, a massive week for those folks. Keeping it moving, Dan, with the lineup this time. Uh, Chelsea sticking with the only thing Maurizio knows, the 4-3-3. Yeah, you know, we saw Kepa in between the sticks. We saw Alonso and Azpilicueta on the wings in defense. We saw Rudiger come back from a little injury, as well as Luis centered and paired together. Jorginho, Conte, and Kovacic in the midfield three. And then who else but the main man, Eden Hazard, up top with Giroud. And then William Pedro does not make it back to fitness before the game. So we get substitutions from Victor Moses, Ross Barkley, and Alvaro Morata. While Fabregas, Cahill, Zapacasta, and Willie C all sit on the bench. You know, Chidge, we haven't really gotten your take on the lineup this far. But, you know, when you see that compared to the team that played midweek, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see Rudiger back other than that I don't think I was you know I guess Pedro is probably the big exception but when you saw the lineup uh you saw Liverpool's lineup any initial thoughts reactions well delighted that Rudiger was back first of all um you know I think that he's he's well I think he's massive for us already but I think he's going to carry on getting even more massive I think he's a hell of a player um Pedro obviously you could have had him in for William uh I think Pedro in a sense, suits Sarri's style a little bit better than than William. I think William and Hazard are quite similar in what they try and do, but uh, Pedro's a little bit more direct, uh, and I think he's very much a Sarri type of player. So, but obviously he didn't make the cut because he was still injured. So it was exactly as I expected. I think the only other thing was I was actually really glad to see uh, Giroud start instead of instead of Morata. Um, I think you know I'm sure we'll get into this later. I don't think either of them are, are really you know, up to the mark in terms of what we need as a as a goal scoring striker. But I think that Giroud's earned the right to start ahead of Morata and, and Morata's gonna have to pull his finger out and, and, and do something because he's in a horrible trough of form, I think, at the moment. 
Well, we've got, you know, for the most part, most of the holes plugged. We'll have to we'll have to see as this kind of progresses. You know, as we've looked at some stats throughout the first few matches of the season, Chelsea, first time in a long time that not only have we not had 70-plus percent possession, actually had less than 50% at 47. Uh, you know, low-ish on touches at 700 and passes only 559. Again, I think that that just goes to show you how even these two, these two teams were and and how we approached the game. Uh, but overall, Chidge, we also want to come back to you for the atmosphere. Again, it was tense in the pubs that where we were at, uh, you know, just watching on TV. It was a very gritty affair. But from your, your uh, kind of viewpoint, Matthew Harding, upper, what was it like in the bridge? Well, it was brilliant, actually. It's the best I've seen for a league, a Saturday league game for a long time. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, Liverpool's a, a big grudge match for us, so that gets people's you know, people's blood up, as it were. Um, also, it was a half-five kickoff, so, you know, people had had more time to be in the pub, so maybe that had had something to do with it. But it's honestly, it was the best atmosphere I've seen at the bridge for a league game for quite a while. Um, I mean, you hardly heard a peep out of the Scousers, of course, until they scored, when suddenly they were the greatest fans in the world. But hitherto, they'd been, dr- <laughs> you know, hitherto they were absolutely drowned out by us, and everybody was singing. It was, It was a real pleasure to be there. Um, but it was a good match, you know. It was it was it was tense. It was it was hard hard work, you know, watching that. Uh, but but really good to see. And I think you're right. I think they are two fairly evenly matched teams. Um, so you know that anybody could have won that right up to the end. And but no main thing, fantastic atmosphere, real delight to be there on a, on a, on an evening like that. I'm just trying to take it in again and just remember what it's like to beat the bridge, and especially for such a huge match like this. I mean, I think the closest we've gotten to is probably Champions League, I'd say, against Atletico at home. That was fantastic because you both needed a result. Um, but, you know, I think just with Liverpool and it being a domestic team that you're taking on, there's that extra bit um, of energy in the stadium. But it looked absolutely electric. So, again... It's really hard to... Just, I'm just trying to think what, what you've... I mean, you have to remind me, you know... You said that was that the Atletico Madrid? Uh, yep. Was that the semi final? No, 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 no. It, no. Was it, it was a group, group game stage yeah. match. Yeah, there wasn't anything on that. I'm just trying to think what's the biggest match you might have seen. And the, the the point is, is there is a huge difference. You know, when there's when there's something on it. I mean, we don't like Liverpool. Clearly, they don't like us. And it's a and it was a big match. You know, neither of us have been beaten in the league so far. So, and it was our first big test. So there was a, there was a lot on that in a sense. Um, but yeah, big Champions League semi-final nights, that kind of thing, big cup cup matches. It's a very different atmosphere from your normal kind of run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, match. And uh, I think the thing is, is that those that know, those that are there, and you know, because you know, let's be honest, we get a we get a fair few tourists these days, like like all the big clubs. But on a on a match like the one on Saturday, there will still be a few kind of travellers there. But actually, they get drowned out by the the proper hardcore fans who who really know that it's about getting behind the team and making a lot of noise, and that's what we saw. It's fantastic. You can't beat it. Love it. No, absolutely love it. Uh, all right, well, let's move into the two goals uh, right off the bat. <laughs> Chidge, Eden Hazard, 25th minute assist from Mateo Kovacic. Absolute acres down the middle, unmarked. Poor, poor from Liverpool, but uh, I can only imagine how the stadium erupted. Well, I, I disagree about it being poor from Liverpool. I really do. I, I think it was just a beautifully worked goal. I mean, the build-up play, the interpassing between it was just absolutely clinical and ruthless. And, and I thought the way that Hazard just moved into that space uh, on the left. And I, I, I had I had a great view uh, of that from where I stand. And 
you know, he, he put that ball in the net the only place he could put it in. I, I was talking to Love Sport this morning and they were trying to say, oh, well, the keeper should have done better. But no way. You know, he put it in the only place he could have put it to score. It was a fantastic goal and, and just proves, you know, what great form Hazard's on at the moment. He's absolutely on fire at the moment. And amen to that. There's I, no... I thought the, really quick, I thought the, the ball from Jorginho that freed up Kovacic was... The pass, the probably the pass of the game. I, it was just one of those perfectly weighted kind of through balls, and it gave Kovacic all of the room to kind of make a, a, a really easy pass uh, to Hazard. And I think, you know, we we gave Jorginho a little bit of stick last week uh, for for passing a lot, but you know, nothing really that decisive against West Ham. But I thought, you know, yesterday it seemed the complete opposite. Well, I think I think West Ham did a really good job on Jorginho. To be fair, last week, Nick, you know, I, I know he kind of. I mean, we were cra- we were crabby about it too on the fan cast, and you know, I, I, you know me, I like direct football. I don't like passing for the sake of it. I think it's a bloody pointless waste of time. But I recognise how good Jorginho is and how fundamental he is to making the side tick. And I think so did Pellegrino because he did very well with the midfield to really stifle any space to him. Uh, and he and he shut down the outlet, so that's that's what made him look like he was just passing around for the hell of it. Uh, he was trying to pass his way out of trouble, but they shut down the avenues, and that that was really well played by them. I thought. Well, either way, um, definitely no credit can be taken away for Eden on that finish. Absolutely snuck it in the just inside the near post at the far corner. So fantastic from him. Not so fantastic is the 89th minute Nick when former Blue Daniel Sturridge just hold something quite literally out of his ass assist Jordan Shakiri. <laughs> uh so I mean to be fair it was a great goal I mean it was a great hit um I mean if you're asking me if he meant it you know I don't know he, he's I've seen him try that shot a couple of different times over the last you know he doesn't play a ton for Liverpool but over the last few years I've seen him try that kind of long range top corner shot and most of the time, it ends up in the fifteenth row. Um, so you know, credit to him for for hitting it. It was a beautiful goal, but you know, it's just it was frustrating at that point because Shakiri should have scored on one of the previous you know kind of runs that Liverpool had, and they were they were putting the pressure on late. So you know, who who knows you know when that goal was going to come? But I mean, it just of course, Dan, it had to be. Our, you know, our former player coming back to haunt us because that seems to happen all the time. Yeah, all of the time. course, it's it's a great narrative element. Uh, I, I do think I enjoyed the fact that Shakiri missing, you know, conjured up a litany of Swiss Miss um, tweets, <laughs> which I found quite humorous. But I think the the question I would have, and I know that a couple people hit us up with it, Brandon, was. Stop was could i i don't think he could have but people ask us and we have uh, you know a duty and responsibility to the listeners ask the question of our goalkeeper of our goalkeeping union card carry member brandon busby could keppa have done better on the on the opportunity for that shot you're complicit by asking you know that right (laughs) no look Uh, i i plead the fifth look here's the thing that pisses me off the most is because courtois would have saved it right he's four inches taller five inches taller like no, Keppa, you all saw the replays. It literally went right over his hands and under the crossbar. Uh, the only way he's saving that is if he's two inches taller, and he's not. So could he have done better? No. The only way we could have done better is preventing the shot, but let's be honest. Did Sturridge mean it? Yes. Is Did he think it was going in? No. Right? Like, 
that's just the the way it is. So I think that Keppa couldn't have done more. That is just a limitation you get with him. Um, is that maybe uh, you know high shots will always be a bit of a weakness. Look at how well he did to get low on that near post save on Mane in the first half. And let's talk about his distribution with his feet all game that really kept Chelsea in control of possession uh, and not getting us in bad situations. So again, I ramble a little bit, but that's how I feel kind of on it. Passion. The passion of the goalkeeper. It's there. It's alive. Uh, All right. Well, Chigi, most people would have taken a draw from this match after the West Ham performance last weekend, but with two strong showings against Liverpool in only a few days, how confident... How confident are you at that this team can go toe to toe with any team in the league this season? Well, I think it was it, it was huge. I mean, you know, let's be under no illusion here. Before, I mean, Wednesday's match was one thing. I mean, at the end of the day, it was it was effectively two B teams against each other. I mean, I, I think that Sarri actually played a relatively strong side. Uh, a little bit alarming that he's not prepared to to play any of the youth in these matches, but that's a, a topic for another day, I suspect. But, I mean, we, was, we were worried. A lot of us were worried that actually Liverpool, with the start that they've made, and clearly beginning to gel as a side and looking a very potent force uh, up front and also being very adept at taking apart uh, possession-based sides. Look at what they did to City last year, for example. So we, we were worried that we might be on the end of one. Uh, yesterday um and the fact is is that we probably should have won that match i agree there were chances at either end you know it could have gone either way but we did enough to win that if hazard uh scores that goal from the breakaway free quick free kick it's two nils different game isn't it so i think and the other interesting thing i thought was that there, there a lot of people were saying around yesterday that it actually looked a bit conte-esque at times and i i thought that chelsea you know did defend quite deep in the second half don't like to see that, but I can, I can see why they were doing it. They were trying to, you know, catch Liverpool on the break, which they, they did a few times. The bottom line is, is that we could have won that. Arguably, we should have won that. And this is the team that everybody's raving about. Uh, and we're a team very much a work in progress. Sarri's had just two or three months to try and gel this side together. So I think it bodes really, really, really well. I think that we're going to be, you know, competing against anybody in this league. I mean, I, I now look at playing City... And I'm less worried about that than I might have been at the beginning of the season. So I think already Sarri's, you know, churning out a, a pretty decent side here and it's beginning to work. Uh, having said that, you know, it, it's still early days. Anything could happen. And, we, you know, I still, I still think we've got uh, the odd dodgy performance in us and we could probably lose to anybody as much as we can beat anybody. But I'm really, really encouraged having seen that yesterday. I really am because I, I, I was worried about that. And I thought, as I said, I thought we should and could have won that. Nick, you can jump in on this too. I mean, just kind of the way the game played out with everything, obviously, you know, it's that's why we play the games, right? On paper, Chelsea should have lost. But when you play the game... Um, I was thrilled at the desire and commitment Chelsea had to go to toe-to-toe last season. I think Conte would have been even more reserved and a little bit more negative from the beginning. Obviously, Chelsea giving up over 50% possession kind of trends toward that, like Chidge said. But uh, I thought it was significantly uh, much more of a brave performance than what we've seen in the past couple years. Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, I think my prediction for the game uh, before the game on Wednesday was that we'd lose 1-3 uh, in the league. So I was really happy with the performance. I thought, 
you know, when when we were on the back foot a little bit, we found a way to regain control. And there were a couple of moments where it, it almost felt like the team was going through a reset where, you know, we were under it a little bit. And, you know, you would see David Luis and Jorginho and, you know, kind of the, the heart of our midfield pass the ball around a little bit just to let everyone have a break and, and reset and get back into the game. And I, I think those moments were huge. I mean, this make no mistake about it. This was a huge match. Um, I think the the rest of the league, uh, everyone was watching, you know, to see, you know, how good Chelsea was, how good Liverpool was. And because, you know, we're, we're also, you know, we haven't um, played super well against them in a couple of years. I know that we won last year at the end when, you know, things were, were pretty dour for, for our squad. But uh, this was, it just felt like a, a big match. And I was really proud of the heart and the fight that the team showed. And uh, to me, I think, you know, if Eden Hazard buries that kind of uh, one-on-one with, with Allison or William can somehow bring down the kind of over-the-top ball that he kind of shot right into Allison's face, then we could be talking about a different result. But uh, all in all, you know, Dan, I feel really, uh, really good uh, about this, you know, kind of the progress that we've seen. And we've said this multiple times, and I'll let Dan give his take, but to me, this is month two of sorry. We haven't even completed almost, you know, I think it's been about two full months of his, you know, system being implemented. Jurgen Klopp's had three and a half, four years, and I didn't tell a huge amount of difference between the two yesterday. And I think that's a credit to Maurizio. Sorry. Well, I think the, the thing, and, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, maybe the shots that we missed, you know, or how the midfield, you know, worked yesterday. But I think the, Biggest point of credit probably goes to the the defense for keeping us in the game. The Rudiger run back to stop the the solid goal after kind of there was a little positional challenge there with Luis with the the goal line clearance. I mean they came up so huge with Alonso and, and kind of really defending either two on one one on one. Probably his best one of his best defensive performances in a game. You know we often look at him as a, a liability, but might have been our strongest individual defender yesterday. I generally think that this game could have been a massive result for Liverpool, but defensively, you know, we were probably the most, you know, you know, well-performing out of any of the matches we've seen in Rosari and the offense was working well. And I, I think that's just showing us that the platform or the, the way that we're going to continue to win matches is being, you know, appropriately coached into the team in a way where we can execute it on a regular basis. And if we can win, or uh, draw in these situations where maybe we were concerned that we would lose in a pretty, uh, you know, pretty poor way. That that's a good thing to look to to the future, Brandon. There's a lot to look forward to, obviously. Um, you know, Matthew on Patreon was saying he was happy slash fortunate to gain a point. Normally, a game tying 89th minute goal would be devastating. But that stomach-churning feeling never seemed to rise. Perhaps the stunning goal subdued the feeling of that overall feel of the game, caused him, you know, to be fortunate for that point. I mean, if we were going to tie Liverpool, doing so with that shot is something I can't be upset by. I mean, wow! If we concede two points, a goal like that is on to simply uh, shrug the shoulders and tip the cap. So that's kind of you know his take on it. I don't know, Chidge. It's it was there it's like being kicked in the nuts really hard <laughs> you know i mean we left and and it, and it felt like a loss you know the the disappointment was was palpable 
uh, because we, we, you know, we knew that we, as I said, we could and should have won that. You know, you reflect a bit after a while, and then you you see the the, the you know the the wood for the trees, as it were. But in that in that moment when you're leaving, I can guarantee you, Matthew, there was nobody leaving that stadium who was shrugging their shoulders, saying, "Oh well, you know, it was a good goal." People were pissed off, you know, because we we got so close. Just to pick up on what Dan was saying as well, Brandon, which I thought was absolutely spot on. You know, I think that that performance, uh, particularly by the defence and and defensively, really was massive because that's answered a hot, a lot of questions. As I said, a lot of talk before this match was the way that you know how Liverpool were going to take us apart and exploit our lack of pace and exploit our lack of discipline and exploit the gaps. None of that happened, and 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 yeah, you know, yeah, they created chances. I get it. They could have scored more. I get it. Uh, and we we cleared two off the line. But the point is, we cleared two off the line. I thought Louise and Rudiger were imperious in defence, and I thought I agree with Dan. I thought Alonso had his best defensive game for ages. Salah, the wonder kid, you know, apparently he's better than Hazard. He got taken off. He looked like the player that we signed that I saw playing for Chelsea and looking like absolute shit. So, you know, defensively, I thought that was massive and it answered questions, it really did. Yeah, their best player was subbed off and then their captain was subbed off and then their vice captain was subbed off. <laughs> Not a great day on that front where our best player uh, scored, you know, a goal, could have had more, you know, but that's a different debate. But then, like, our captain, you know, Aspie locked it down. It, it just, look different performances obviously their bench was deep enough to get them the result but it surely was not uh the players that they're supposed to be relying on and, and speaking of that uh dan liverpool signed fabinho and Nabiketa, kind of i know he was signed the year before anyways this summer to reinforce their midfield but i really thought their midfield was average with milner henderson Wijnaldum. if maybe not average isn't the right word they were industrious, right? They're not overperforming. They're just there to kind of get in the way to let their front three do whatever they need to do. But on the flip side, I thought Jorginho, Kante, and Kovacic were fantastic, especially, like you said, the productivity, the final ball, the end piece was there for me. Um, you know, obviously, when the subs came in, that's where it started to fall off. So specifically starting with Kovacic, I'm worried. Is, do you think he's still not fully fit to finish a game or does Sar just want fresh legs maybe to chase uh, their midfielders around? Well, I think first we have to, you know, we do have to compliment Liverpool's midfield and having, you know, one of the biggest, you know, on-pitch assholes and Jordan Henderson uh, playing, a, <laughs> you know, with the amount of complaining and, you know, just jawing off that he does. Uh, it's, you know, always a pleasure to see him kind of taken to task by anyone. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, it was a look at you know, an opportunity to try to refresh legs. There's a lot of competitions coming up. Uh, now we're going to have to play, you know, Darby and Frank Lampard and invite them back to Stamford Bridge. We, you know, have Europa League matches, uh, regular Premier League matches. So there's enough competitions where if you can give someone, you know, 15, 20 minutes to rest, put someone with fresh legs on being a, a Barkley or another player to to take that load off is what you hope for. Uh, unfortunate for Barkley when he comes on, he does, you know, kind of give up the pass that, you know, eventually is leads to Sturridge's goal. So, but I think that, you know, you, you are looking at the fact that the depth is going to be the challenge for us is that we have, you know, there's a lot of positions where if you go to the next player up, uh, it's not a like for like substitution. You know, we've talked about it, you know, unfortunately for, 
for several years, Nick, but there's no second starting 11 necessarily within our squad. There are very few positions where, you know, maybe a Christensen for Louise or Rudiger gives you, you know, a similar level of talent, uh, maybe different opportunities to, to play, but it's not across the pitch. And there's a lot of work that's going to continue to need to be done in January and next summer as you look to bring in new players, but also kind of find uh, players within the academy and who already belong to Chelsea to make that addition. So I, I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they're, you know, if, if the question is, do they, do we have like a like for like repra- replacement for uh, Kovacic? No, uh, I, you know, we were in our text group and change. I want your opinion on this as well, but I felt like before he came off, he, he was probably my man of the match. I thought he was unbelievable uh, in, in the first 60 or so minutes. And not only with the energy and, you know, all the, the range of passing, but I thought just he, he might be our bastard, you know, like we, every team needs a bastard. We had it with Diego. Um, and, and, you know, previously I think David Luiz has kind of been a bastard, uh, but we need someone with a little bit of dog in him. And I thought that he, for us uh, yesterday had that, you know, attacking fighting spirit, um, and was he was just simply everywhere on the pitch. I was so impressed. And so our midfield just overwhelmed their midfield. And I actually was very surprised uh, that Milner and Henderson were in the same midfield together. And, you know, it felt very much like Jurgen Klopp was, was playing a little bit defensive there, um, which, you know, I think has to, you know, probably go down to Maurizio Sarri and his system and knowing kind of the threat that our midfield uh, possesses. So, um, I don't know what you think about the, the midfield, but it just it felt to me like uh, Kovacic was, was just incredible yesterday. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Nick. I thought that was the best uh, collective performance by Jorginho, Kovacic and um, Kante that we've seen this season. I think it's really interesting, isn't it? When when we played a team that actually were prepared to come and have a go at us, which actually I, I, I don't think Liverpool were necessarily defensive. I think that they... You know, we played very well. They found it hard, really, but uh, they were certainly out there to try and get a result. And I just thought you saw a very different Kante. I mean, previously we've seen Kante with acres of space or being blocked out by a 10-man defence. He doesn't really know what to do, but he he seemed to have much more... uh, We seemed to be much more comfortable in the fact that he was having to make tackles and and close people down. Uh, So it was a bit more kind of normal for him in that sense. And, And I think you saw a good performance as a result. Um, I think it's really interesting, actually, isn't it? Because I thought, you're right, I, I think our midfield bossed that game for, for much of it. But actually, what I thought was interesting was that our substitutions didn't work. You know, we brought on Barkley. Very difficult for him to come into a game like that and get up to the pace of it. And I think that's why you saw him making a couple of mistakes. I mean, you know, arguably, uh, you know, he gave the ball away initially, didn't he, for, for Sturridge's goal. But uh, Moses, you know, again doesn't look like a player good enough really to to play in that position for Chelsea and Morata again you know didn't look like a player good enough to be a striker for Chelsea so you know the team that 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 he put out there was really really good played really really well but I think we you know the substitutions were a bit lacking what do you think about the Angola Conte discussion that's happening right now uh I can't remember what the fan cast said uh about you know you think I can Brandon I don't even listen to the blo- I don't even listen to the bloody show, you know. Perfect. This is even better. This will be a fresh take. Then it's not. You won't be influenced. <laughs> it's a complicated argument, and I don't think there's any easy solution. The reality is this: is that um, yes, Kante is without doubt the best defensive mid- midfield player 
in that kind of makalele position in the world. But we don't play like that anymore. That's not how Sarri wants to play. Sarri wants to play with a quarterback, and the quarterback is Jorginho, and that is fundamental to how he wants us to play. And let's be frank, it's worked pretty, pretty well. I think it's a shame in a sense, but you know, you, it's like comparing apples with oranges. You know, if we were playing, you know, four-two-three-one, and you had Kante, you know, playing in the defensive midfield role, and and Jorginho had come in to swap him directly, then you would ask questions. But that's not what's happened. And I remember talking to Jason Cundy really early on in the season about this, and he was adamant that actually he he you know, for example, Liam, we had Liam on the show last week, and he wrote a really excellent piece about the fact that he felt that. Kante was being asked to play a Frank Lampard role or an impersonation of Frank Lampard but without any of the goal-scoring ability. I think that's that's not entirely true. I, I agree with Jason Cundy, which is, you know, he's being asked to kind of win the ball high up the pitch. So I think that Kante's fundamental to the high press. I think the downside of it is that for some reason or other, he tends to have been the spare man in space. And and he's you know against West Ham he missed a header he, he he did a pretty poor shot over the bar and that's not what his strengths are but maybe we should be looking at others like the Williams of this world uh, you know who who should be getting into the right position to be finishing stuff off and I think actually against West Ham like I was saying earlier on in the show that's where we missed Pedro you know Pedro right. I think if Pedro's the guy that finds that space is is the kind of the free man rather than Kante then you see a different result and maybe if Pedro had been playing that's what we would have seen uh, but you know get over it people it, you know Kante's going to be in that position for as long as he wants Jorginho's going to be in his position for as long as he wants because that's what Sarri wants and trust Sarri to make Kante adapt to that position he's a world-class player I've got no problems with him being able to do that well, and this is where, really quick, we, we were talking about this last week, and I think uh, this is where we were hoping that maybe Kovacic was a little bit more of a goal scorer than he is, right? Because, you know, I I personally feel like anytime you can have N'Golo Conte on the field, and especially as you referenced, Chage, that with the high press that at times Chelsea have employed this year, and I'm sure they will employ uh, more as the system becomes more comfortable for the entire team, is N'Golo Conte has a steadiness and um, an ability to run a marathon each game without apparently getting tired, which is incredible. Whereas William slows down about the 60th, 70th minute if he starts and William should be the guy, you know, just with his athletic ability and talent to, you know, really enjoy the high press. I mean, I think, it, you know, the odds that William gets a ball and, you know, any sort of space near the, uh, near the 18 yard box and can do something with it would excite me if I was him, but it doesn't seem like he's, necessarily going that uh, distance or above and beyond to make sure that he's he's one of the people pressing. So N'Golo Conte at times yesterday was higher up the pitch than William was. And to me, that just shows, you know, either a lack of fitness on in one way or that Sarri just trusts N'Golo Conte to do what he is naturally born to do, which is win the ball back. And, you know, to be frank, and I, I want Dan's POV on this too, but um, I thought that N'Golo Conte had three critical passes yesterday, uh, one to Hazard in space and then two others that were potentially going to set up goals. And uh, to me, you know, if, if we can get that level of production from him where you know he's on a break and can, can play a pass to someone who can really do something with the ball, i.e. a Willian or a Hazard or, you know, God willing, a striker on our team, then we're going to be gold. 
Uh, but I mean, Nick, you know, Kante can do this. Remember the goal he scored against Man United? Yes, I, perfectly. Yes. What a superb goal that was! Didn't he finish that with a plum? He did. And it's not to say he can't shoot. It's just that if we even get like a few assists from him in that higher up role, then I think this whole thing is going to flow better. Right now, we're overly reliant on one guy to score our goals because our strikers. And our Willian are not turning up. Absolutely right. And, and I think herein lies the bigger problem. The pr- I don't think the problem is with our midfield. The midfield is going to be like it is. You know, it, this is not a midfield that has Frank Lampard in it or even Michael Essien. You know, it's a different midfield. These guys are not going to score us a hat, field of, a hat full of goals. So that actually, as you rightly say, that puts the pressure far more on Hazard and Willian stroke Pedro uh, and whoever we've got up front. And that is, for me, the problem that we have. You know, I, I was thinking during that game, watching it, thinking, this is all looking pretty good, guys, you know. But what would we be like if we had an Aguero or a Lewandowski, a proper a proper goal-scoring sure. pig? You know, the number of times I saw Giroud, who I love to pieces, I absolutely love the man, but he will lay the ball off rather than having a pop unless he's got a clear size of goal. Um, I want, I mean, you know, Aguero wouldn't do that. Guerrero would would get the ball, find space, shoot, shoots on sight. You know, if we had a striker like that, we would be unbeatable. I tell you, I mean, it would really make a difference. And and I don't think we've got strikers who can do that. It's the biggest gulf in a difference between us versus uh, City versus Liverpool um, is that we're we're lacking in that department. And I think until we you know come January or come summer. Um, it's going to be the thing that keeps us from, you know, I think challenging for the title versus, you know, kind of being a, a top four contender, you know, without having someone that can chip in that, you know, 20 plus goal to give Hazard a little additional freedom to allow Conte to be his best self and to do that, you know, not with the pressure of having to score a goal, but with the, you know, added bonus of if he does score one, that we're all going to love it. And hopefully it's a header that he can finish off next time. Uh, that would be great. But, we need that person in front of goal in that striker position that wants to take the challenge on of scoring and is able to stand up to the challenges and can be a great partner to Hazard and to whoever we put on the right flank. Because you know, I think the, the hot or cold element or the punch card element of William and Pedro, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to rotate them, that you may get lucky and, and hopefully sorry gets lucky enough where he's picking the right one on the right day. But the consistency element is is going to be another problem for you know our attack. I think the other worry, Dan. I mean, we've talked a lot about this on on the fan cast, and you know, there's a temptation uh, to say, well, look, if the strikers aren't scoring goals, then maybe play Hazard, William, and Pedro. Pedro perhaps more centrally, which is something he did at Barcelona. Uh, and 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 I, I remember the game we played against Barcelona when we played the false number nine. And I remember William having the best game of the season for him in that game. He was superb. Um, so I I think it could work. I think the trouble is with in English football we're very very wedded to having you know a big striker up front. You know because actually this is one of the things that Giroud does particularly well. You know he occupies a, a defender or two and provides more space for the likes of William and Hazard, and I can understand that. But I, I it, it would be really interesting to see Sarri just give it a go. You know while while they're hopelessly out of form and not scoring goals, play Hazard, Pedro, and William together and see what happens. Well, funny enough, you bring that up because Sarri said in his post-match press conference he isn't worried about his striking options, nor is he interested in playing with a false nine. He seems to be pretty confident that we will have three 
or four players with double-digit goals by the end of the season. Uh, he's also now started, Nick, a live countdown of Eden Hazard getting 40 goals. And as he put it, this end of the match, <laughs> hey, only 33 more to go. Uh, interesting stake in the ground from Maurizio. Uh, but are you confident that we're going to have three or four players with double-digit goals, one of them no. being Eden on 40? Uh, I mean, and I'm not. <laughs> like, I, I, if, if we had... Even if Giroud was was hitting one every other game, then I would feel okay, you know. But th- then you're then you're really. I, I think Pedro will probably get there uh, if he is, you know, okay and is able to come back in a decent amount of time. But you know, then then you'd be relying on William, who's never hit double digit goals in a season, and the combination of Olivier Giroud or Alvaro Morata, who both haven't really done anything this season. Um, in terms of goal scoring, to to be the second and third, maybe fourth option to to have double digit goals. Like I don't know if anyone else is super confident in that, but like beyond Pedro and Hazard, I, I don't think that that's plausible. Maybe Marcus Alonso. Who knows? <laughs> um, I think you know what. I don't think a lot of people obviously are confident right now because it's not happening. Uh, Dan, kind of interesting from Shane here on Patreon asking, is anyone else bothered by the constant comments from coaches about what Eden Hazard should and shouldn't be capable of? I mean, who is sorry to decide what Eden should be as a player? What if Eden would have to change who he was as a person psychologically, emotionally in order to be, in order to reach these expectations? What if this player, uh, that we have is the best Eden? Can we deal with that? Um, so i think it's it's a good shout but i actually think what's happening is you're getting i think some wonderful man management from sorry who's doing a great job of both praising ed in in the right moments but you know setting benchmarks for where he feels like the player could achieve it's it's similar to how you know all of us have worked for someone or work at a job where we report to someone and if you do a good job the, the hope or the expectation is you can either replicate that or you can unlock or achieve a, a different level. And I think what we're starting to see different from prior seasons is ends off to off to the races. He's leading the Premier League in goals uh, at, at the moment and goals scored. And I think that's exciting. And I think it's great for a manager to praise him appropriately in the press, to thank him for the contributions, but you know, also to say, hey, you know, I've, I've got a, an idea of where he can achieve and what he can do. And I think the, the best thing that we can do for Eden in that regard is to eventually get someone who can support him appropriately up front because I am not confident that Murata and Giroud for an entire season is going to help us get the best out of Eden Hazard. You know, you look at Pedro as the second top goal scorer for us in the league with three, and then it's Alonzo, William, Jorginho, Conte, and Murata with one goal apiece. You know, if we're talking about getting you know, multiple goal scorers to 10 plus, that's going to be a a pretty lofty challenge. And uh, I I don't necessarily know if one of those three or four players exists on the roster today. It's kind of weird to me, Chidge, like, like Dan said to me, it's like, well, that's kind of the manager's responsibility is to, to kind of tell the player what they can achieve and, and, you know, maybe some, some milestones that they should look to try to hit. Um, but I, I, to me, I guess I understand Shane's point if Maurizio was telling him to go play left back. But to me, like, he's an attacker. He, he's there to produce and, and score goals realistically. Yeah, it's a bit weird, I think, him saying that, to be honest. But, uh, I, I mean, we had a really interesting chat about uh, his press conference 
on the on the Love Sports show on Friday, and and you know when he was basically saying that he thinks he's seventy five, eighty percent there, and basically when he was pushed, he was saying, well, you know, uh, Hazard could do more in training, and I I got the hump about that and said, well, I don't give a shit what he does in training; it's what it does on the pitch that counts for me. And Jonathan was very interesting about that, and he said, "Well, actually, because I said, well, what if you're not, you know, what about an actor? It's not about the dress rehearsal; it's about the performance." And actually, Jonathan said, "Well, actually, no." He said, "You know, you have to be professional, and and in the rehearsals and everything else, it's it's a professional courtesy to your fellow actors to to put in a hundred percent, even if it's a rehearsal." And I thought, well, actually, that was quite a good point about the. Um, you know, the getting 40 goals, I think that's just nuts. I mean, I could see Hazard getting 20. I think he's more than capable of doing that. But the reality is, um, when Sarri says three or four players with double digits, you know, in, in a really great team, I mean, we've had it before, you know, your top strikers, you, you want your top striker getting a minimum of 20 goals a season, all right? And then we had Frank Lampard, who was getting 15 to 20 nearly every season we had JT who was weighing in with five to ten goals a season so yeah it was spread around a bit but you had two or three players that were getting nearly 20 goals you know that's what you need and I mean if you've got uh Hazard William Pedro Giroud Morata as your key goal scorers uh Giroud yeah I can see him getting 10 but yeah, I mean, I can see Giroud getting 10. Morata, I think, is more than capable of doing that. I mean, he got 11 goals in 10 games at the start of last season, so we know he can do it. It's just a question of will he ever get his mojo back. Willian, he'd struggle to get 10 in my book. Uh, and Pedro, I mean, again, you know, there's nobody there other than Hazard that I can see getting us nearly 20 goals a season, let alone double figures. So I think that needs to be looked at. All right, well, before we get too far ahead into January, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Obviously, uh, open it up. Now, if you guys have any other additional thoughts or comments that we maybe have missed that you want to revisit, Chidge, anything that you want to pull out that we maybe didn't talk about already? No, I'll save that for tomorrow night, mate, obviously. Ooh. No, I'm only pulling it. <laughs> oh, nice. No. Another plug. I love it. I love Tune it. Tune in, folks. Tune in, folks. No, look, I... I, I, I M-I-X-L-R. <laughs> Listen, I, all I would say is that... Uh, you know reiterate we are not the perfect side yet we are very much a work in progress i think it's absolutely right that sari uh is being you know slowly slowly catchy monkey in a way i mean you know and i think he's right to kind of keep his faith in who he's got at the moment the only thing that i'm uh, confused by really i mean we all knew beforehand that sari likes to pick the same team every match i mean this is what he did at napoli but you know, I, I just think uh, the Caribou Cup, I mean, okay, I know it was against Liverpool and, you know, you don't want to lose there, obviously, but I'm a bit disappointed that the likes of uh, Ampadu and uh, Hudson-Odoi didn't get a chance. I really am, because I think Hudson-Odoi particularly, you know, needs to be tested on a, on a bigger stage. We need to see what he can do. I think we know what Ampadu can do. He looks a hell of a player. And, of course, poor old Loftus-Cheek, who was injured, who, who I, I really fear for his Chelsea future, but... That's the only thing I would say, other than what we can already see is happening, that I would like to see changed. Dan, anything else? No, credit to Marcus Alonso for uh, for a great performance. I think he, you know, stuffed out solid pretty well, and we spent a lot of time talking about attack. But again, I think one of the best defensive performances we've seen uh, from this side this season, and I think provides a, a good blueprint for how we'll continue to play defensively moving forward. Absolutely. We didn't even talk about it. That's my bad. We should have. I mean, Aspie was barely involved in this match because Liverpool quite 
clearly attacked Alonzo all day and went down his side all day. And him and, and Rudiger and David Luiz dealt with it like absolute professionals. So uh, for those of you who say Marcus Alonzo can't defend, I guess you can put that in your pipe and smoke it. What about you, Nick? <laughs> Feisty Brandon's <clears throat> back. I love it. Um, I've got my Alonzo kit. I got to uh, wear it and be proud. You do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the only thing I would say is just around the atmosphere of the team right now is like even in a a slightly disappointing draw, uh, it was still really great to see, you know, our guys, you know, holding their heads high after a match like that. And, you know, I think Maurizio Sarri is kind of seems like a warm kind of lovable figure. At least that's the the figure he cuts in public. And uh, I, I think that has all the difference in the world compared to kind of the end of the Antonio Conte reign, which seemed really dour and negative. So, you know, it's, it just is nice to see this team kind of gelling and and looking like they're enjoying, uh, you know, their jobs, which, you know, they're, they're being paid millions of pounds to do that. And, you know, we just hope to see a smile every once in a while. I think that makes a huge difference. Absolutely. All right, Dan, your time to shine. Finally, man of the match poll. Yeah, no, no joking humorous options for this week. We kept it pretty professional above board. Hazard, Kovacic, Luis and Rudiger hazard wins with 57% of the vote followed very closely by Luis with 17% Rudiger with 14% and your boy, Nicholas Kovacic with 12%. Very close behind. Yeah. All right. Well, as the table stands, Chelsea are in third place, two points off the top, who sit Man City. Uh, level on points with Liverpool on 19. Uh, Tottenham Spurs jumping up to fourth on 15 points. Arsenal up to 15 points in fifth. And Watford sticking it to the top six on 13 points. If uh, you can't scroll far enough, United are currently in 10th, which uh, is unfortunately very reminiscent to a few seasons ago for our beloved Chelsea. Um, But, you know, keep your eye on that and see how it goes. Uh, it uh, will surely be one for the tabloids all season. So anyways, we're going to wrap up this episode. Don't worry, we are coming back with the full crew uh, in part two for our next episode this week. Going to be covering a ton of your social media questions as well as we have a double match preview, uh, MOLVD in Hungary as well as Southampton. Chid, are you more excited for a Europa League midweek match or the Saints away this coming week? Give a quick tease. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm very excited about uh, Mole Vidi on Thursday because I will be going, sitting with Dan Silver uh, in the West Lower, um, and it's a European night and it's a midweek game. I mean, I you you just got to love that, you know? Uh, normally, Southampton away is my favourite away of the season because, of course, I live some kind of 15 minutes up the road from Southampton so I always find it hilarious that my one of the few away games I go to is actually you know very near where I live sadly I'm not going uh this Sunday because uh, I just was stupid about trying to get a ticket and then I also know that the trains are screwed too uh which is going to make it hard to get in and out and uh, now I've been asked to do the to co-present the breakfast show uh, at Love Sport next Sunday with would you believe not only the prior kind of british 400 meter uh runner olympic runner ewan thomas but he's also a southampton fan so i shall be sticking knives into him for four hours on sunday morning <laughs> what a better morning what a way to start your day off indeed but i won't be going to the game so i should be watching it in the pub in victoria i think but it's right. a great well, away a- it's a great away if you ever get the chance to go to southampton away a lot of fun everybody loves it 
everybody goes to the same pub we take it over everybody gets absolutely hammered it's one of the favorite away trips it really is awesome all right well there's your tease there's your taste test for part two so make sure you listen on again chich thanks for joining us as always oh it is fantastic we'll be back with another pod later this week until next time chelsea fans you know what to do keep the blue flag flying high